I'm Lindsay. And I'm Sarah. And together we're the co-founders of Whale Tales, a living library of cetacean stories. Today we are going to be a little on the nose. Plus a northern bottlenose whale story. So sit back and enjoy as we dive right in. Welcome, everybody. Today, we're talking about noses. Except that they aren't noses. Right. They are called rostrums. <laughs> Correct. Uh, so we are going to be focusing today's episode on the front part of a cetacean's anatomy of their head, their rostrums. And what is a rostrum exactly? In Latin, rostrum means beak, and biologically speaking, it is a term used for the anatomy of a number of different unrelated structures in different groups of animals. This is how we can refer to the beak of a bird, also the mouth parts of insects, uh, and you can also use the word rostrum to refer to the teeny, teeny, tiny piece of the carapace that goes in between the eyes of a crustacean. Mm-hmm. Really? Seems That's really ridiculous. specific. Now I want to go pick up a crab and be like, nah, nah, nah. It, but if you think about a crab, like it is like a distinct part of their outer carapace, like the part between their eyes. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And well, Sebastian has a nose, so that doesn't really mm, count. We don't take Disney animation for <laughs> physiology lessons what? or anatomy lessons. They're not anatomically correct. <laughs> Sadly, no. In cetaceans. Rostrums are the physical protrusion in front of the cetacean's head where a nose or a snout would be if they were terrestrial mammals or pinnipeds or any other mammals that aren't cetaceans. Um, There's a big pointy part. Yeah. Or not pointy (laughs) part, as we'll see. And why is it not their nose? Well, your nose is the casing of your nostrils. And whale's nostrils are not in their rostrum. They are on the back of their head at their blowhole um we'll put up some a link to some pictures uh in the show notes that have sort of the evolutionary steps of these the nostrils sort of migrating backwards so if it's not a nose then what exactly is the rostrum in cetaceans the answer to that is their jaw kind of um If you were to think about terrestrial mammals, it would be sort of their snout, minus the nose part that usually goes around their snout. Um, Essentially, it's made up of the bones that we have between the bottom of our nose and our upper jaw, which is just, you know, I'm feeling it now. I know, me too. (laughs) Um, But the bones are much longer in cetaceans, which now I'm trying to imagine my bones stretching, and I'm just thinking of Pinocchio and what a weird movie that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. But also, it would be weird if your nose was on your forehead, so. Yeah. Uh, rostrums look different in tooth whales versus baleen whales, like most things. Uh, the top part of a tooth whale's rostrum is shaped more like a crescent moon, while baleen whale's rostrum is shaped more like an arch. The difference in the structures of uh, become pretty evident when you look at the cetacean skulls and when you look at the other parts that tooth whales have and baleen whales have and kind of makes sense when they all are together working as a team all those <laughs> mouth and head parts yes needing to be able to open and close your mouth with the rostrum parts <laughs> makes sense so within these groups of whales uh like for example within the toothed whales there's even there's even more variation than just the shape so for example if you compare 
a toothed whale like a beluga with a dolphin, they have very different shaped rostrums. <laughs> and, and then, you know, throw a sperm whale in there and it's even more different. I, while researching for today's episode, we found a really really interesting full and free which we always like article by Annalisa Berta, Eric Eckdale and Ted Cranford and the article is called A Review of the Cetacean Nose Form Function and Evolution. <laughs> Man, the stuff that comes up on Google Scholar and that's in my search history is so strange. Um, but it was a really, really, really interesting article. Much more of that article is focused on the actual blowhole of cetaceans, because that is their nose, than the roster in which most people think is their nose. But it goes into exceptional detail on the evolution of, you know, that's where a lot of the pictures that we're going to post are coming from is from this article, as well as sort of if you've ever wondered you know, what it would be like structurally in terms of like the internal anatomy to have your nose on the top of your head, this article's for you. <laughs> it goes into <laughs> extreme detail about, you know, like how all of the internal structures reorganized themselves in order for the connection to a cetacean's lungs to end up on the top of their head instead of the front of their head. Really, really cool. Um, I guess... Because our eyes wouldn't be in the front either. Just like, there's so much stuff going on in there already. Yeah. There's not enough space. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. yeah. So if, uh, if the rostrum episode today is kind of just piquing your interest of just the general head anatomy of cetaceans and you want to dig a little bit deeper, check out that article. We always love cool. free articles. Yeah. So after all this, what does the rostrum do? Its main job is obviously to be part of the mouth. However, it has um, some other secondary but also equally important jobs. First, echolocation. If you haven't heard about that, <laughs> in toothed whales, the jawbone is responsible. It's where the sound comes from or comes back to. And they hear the sound in their jaws. So that's obviously really important because the rostrum is part of your jaw. Um, it's mainly in the lower jaw. So echolocation is very important because if the you don't echolocate, then you don't need to use your mouth because you don't have any. <laughs> Excellent point. True, true, true. Uh, many cetaceans also use their rostrums for social touch and for communication. They'll do sort of like loving rubs on each other, parental nudges, like um, their parents will nudge their babies like out of the way or up to the surface to breathe. Uh, they'll use them for aggressive displays like um, competition between males for mates. Uh, they'll use it to um, pass food and things between individuals in the same family group. One of my favorite pictures is of a bottlenose dolphin with just kelp on its rostrum. Yeah. Just being like, looky what I can do. <laughs> it was going around on Twitter a while ago, but a few years ago, several years ago, there was like this trend of like carrying... Was it salmon around on their, yeah, on their rostrums in the, in the southern residence? It was in the residence? 80s. Yeah, oh, Pequot. in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it just the... went around during Orca Month again. Oh, okay, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So they yeah, would just, like, was... decorate yeah. their rostrum with the salmon yeah. to mm -hmm. show off, like, maybe how good they are at hunting? Who knows? I think so. It was just like... The things residents do, man, who yeah. knows? But if you think about it, they don't have hands and they're 
their um, pectoral fins are too short most of the time, with some exceptions, to you know be able to do that sort of like communication with each other. So they use their rostrum. It's a good pointy tool for moving and lifting and shoving your uh, family and friends. My three-year-old, almost four-year-old son would also agree with uh, all of those because he frequently will come up and just nuzzle with right. his Aww. nose <laughs> and yes. go nuzzle, nuzzle, nuzzle. <laughs> well, if you don't make the noise, then it doesn't count. Exactly. How <laughs> would you know what he's doing? <laughs> uh, in cetaceans, the rostrum is quite hard. Obviously, it is made of a bone with you know some some musculature and, and skin over it, so it is hard like bone. Uh, whenever I would be describing how cetaceans use their rostrums for hunting, which is the next use, I would always say it is basically like a baseball bat, and obviously a baseball bat hurts when you accidentally get hit by one that was aiming for something else (laughs) and so would a rostrum if the cetacean behind that rostrum puts legitimate force behind it so in addition to sort of the social touch and communication that sarah was just talking about there is the legitimate defense or offense that they can do with their rostrum it can be weaponized seems like a weird word but uh it can <laughs> so yes they can be when uh when you think about actually sort of like that that picturesque hunting moment of especially orcas um it's because they've basically punted a porpoise often sorry porpoise lovers out of the water using their rostrum and if you think about that being you know a very very large animal with a very strong bony appendage on the front of their body that's hitting you going 40 kilometers an hour it would hurt and that's why porpoises fly through (laughs) this is also uh, an important part of the bottlenose dolphins can beat up sharks story um, because they got long pointy things, and if there's enough of them, they are stronger than the shark's pointy things. And, yeah, and that's science. Yeah, and also they are intelligent, so they know the soft parts, like the gills, to yeah, exactly. hit yeah. the sharks in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, good for offense, good yep. for offense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you were talking about weapons, I pictured a um, sawtooth, not a, like not a swordfish, a sawtooth flatfish oh, no, yeah, on yeah. a cetacean, and then that was pretty funny. <laughs> also, it's just like a bottlenose dolphin with like a big saw on its nose. It's just like I mean, that's not extremely dissimilar. No, to it's the not. Ganges dolphin. <laughs> that's true. And also, and then you just think about fish with uh, weird noses or rostrums as well, like the sawfish flat mo- um, mm-hmm. flatfish. Or, or I guess it's a shark, I think. And, or a, a lasmo prank or something. And um, swordfish, of course. And just like, man, ocean animals are weird. Because they don't have hands. So, anyway. Speaking of which, uh, rostrums, bottlenose dolphins also use, put sponges on their rostrums to help dig for food. I've seen it. Well, not in the wild. I've seen pictures of it and it looks weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, strange. But it it helps. Like they found it's definitely a cultural thing. It's not all bottom nose mm. dolphins, but it would also depend because it's a certain type of sponge. So I know yeah. it happens in Australia. Um 
but of course, and then there's like now I don't I can't keep track of how many different subspecies of bottlenose dolphin there are because that's what they're focusing on and not something else. But <laughs> um, I, it's not all species subspecies of bottlenose, which was my point there. If not to right. go off and on it, another tangent, <laughs> and it probably also depends on like the substrate where they're digging for food. Yeah, anyways. also yeah. true. Yeah, digging for food, sponges, what kind of food they're eating mainly, and. And that's all the things we know about rostrums. Uh, Pretty handy and pretty specific to cetaceans in the fact that they are still present on their face, but not involved in respiration. Yeah. And and then, and that there's so many of them, like in beaked whales. Yeah. Yeah. So many shapes. I was going to say tooth whales, but beaked whales, especially of course, but all Mm -hmm. sorts of, all the tooth whales, they're all different shapes. It's just a really cool, like, obviously the anatomy of cetaceans compared to all other mammals is really different. But what I found super interesting about rostrums specifically is, like, even other marine mammals. Like, it's just real, real different and then quite varied within the cetacean group anyways. Yeah, well, because you think about whale sharks and baleen whales and like they eat the same thing but but they've got rostrums and whale sharks that have got nothing it's just flat at the front like they ran into something that's <laughs> true <laughs> so like what kind of aside from all the other advantages blue whales have but like it's just interesting to see like what would be better i don't know yeah so many it things is. anyway before we continue with the rest of the episode we want to take a moment to tell you how you can support our podcast and everything we do at Whale Tales. One way you can support us is becoming a patron on patreon.com slash whaletales. You can join us for a dollar a month at the porpoise level, $5 a month at the dolphin level, or $10 a month at the whale level. Each level comes with a variety of perks, including discounts on our merch, like our new podcast logo. Yeah. So awesome. We love it so, 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 so much. Uh, you can also get a thank you postcard signed by all three of us, access to extended interviews and stories with the guests that we have on our podcast. And at the $10 level, at the whale level, you can produce your own fun flipper fact segment of the podcast. Thank you so much to the patrons that we have. You are amazing and we value your support every day. And if you aren't able to support us financially, uh, don't worry. There are still lots of other things you can do to help us out. You can leave us a rating or a review on your podcast platform of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and this will help other people find us. And you can also tell your cetacean science podcast-loving friends in person about us so that they can listen too. We would like that. We would like that very, very much. You can also follow us on social media, plus you can send your feedback to us there so that we can keep making the podcast even better. Yes, this episode was a kind of sideways suggestion from somebody who asked us a question on our Instagram. So that's how this happens. Hooray! So the next episode could be from you. Yeah, speaking of which, we don't have a theme (laughs) But you know what we do have? I do. Yeah, you missed a whole month of it. Are you you ready? So ready. The flourish? A flour, ooh, the flourishing fun flipper. Oh fact. god, <laughs> did that to myself. Fun flipper fact. Was that flourishing enough? Very. I liked it. It was like if you had a 
you could have a fan or something or a boa. That's what I was Ooh. thinking. I was thinking of the big fans from White Christmas. Yeah. Anyways, today's fun flip of fact was actually voted on by our patrons. So every once in a while we throw a poll up for our patrons to vote on. And the winning citation that our patrons, and now you, wanted to know something, something fun and flippery and factual about <laughs> was the melon-headed whales. So melon-headed whales are cetaceans in the blackfish group like false killer whales and killer whales. Notice I started with false killer whales because there's nothing false about them and I feel like they need some equal play every once in a while. <laughs> like so many, specifically of the blackfish, actually. Yeah. Yeah. They can grow till they're about 9 feet or 2.75 meters long. They're about 500 pounds or 225 kilograms. And they are found pretty much worldwide in tropical and subtropical waters, uh, primarily near shore and around oceanic islands like Hawaii, French Polynesia, the Philippines, pretty much anywhere you or me or any of us would like to go on vacation right now. <laughs> or you might see a melon-headed whale. Oh, I'm just going to dream. I'm just going to dream about yeah. vacation. Um, and one of my favorite fun flipper facts about melon-headed whales actually has to do with their name. Now, these are toothed whales. They are in the dolphin family, like all killer whales and blackfish that have, again, poor branding. <laughs> and so they do use their melons to echolocate, or the front part of their forehead, and then their rostrum and lower jaws we were talking about as part of echolocation. But, interestingly enough, as is the case with many of the names that animals are given, the melon-headed whale was not named for the shape of its head being in relation to, oh, I don't know, a melon. <laughs> <laughs> Why would that be a thing? Instead, from everything that we could find, it is named after a... French bowler hat, which is colloquially in French, probably not now, but mm. back in ye on olden <laughs> Francais days, the French bowler hat was known as the melon. And apparently, that's what the people who were first describing melon headed whales thought of when they saw one's head. <laughs> what so, a great decision. Yeah. Because, yeah, I always thought melon headed whales. Like before I'd heard the name but hadn't seen one, I was like, oh, maybe they're like Beluga. No. No, not at all. Nope. If anybody's nope. going to be a melancholy whale, it's a Beluga. Nope. 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 Uh, so, yeah. And that's uh, our fun flipper fact about melon headed whales, or maybe, as we should now say, melon headed whales. <laughs> and we can yeah, all just do be... a little tip of our, our little bowler derby hats. <laughs> the, the step one of their rebranding. Moving on to uh, another whale that has a slightly confusing name, but less than that, <laughs> is time for our story, which is super exciting. We have a story from Elizabeth, in, who's a PhD student in at Dalhousie. She's studying longfin pilot whales. Um, she's actually sent in some pilot whale stories for us before, but today she's going to talk to us about northern bottlenose whales, which are a beaked whale. And have nothing to do with bottlenose dolphins, and they're also way bigger than you think that they are. <laughs> A little bit. Yeah. So, here is Elizabeth. 
Hello everyone, I'm Elizabeth Swamborn, a PhD student at Dalhousie University studying decision-making in longfin pilot whales off of Eastern Canada. However, I'm here to talk to you today about a very different cetacean that I've had the privilege of observing on research trips. This species is the northern bottlenose whale, Hyperodon ampulatus. Before I tell this story, and because we are talking about a listed species at risk here in the Maritimes, I do want to clarify that this fieldwork was done under the necessary permits from Fisheries and Oceans Canada. Now, you may never have heard of them before. They are a large, approximately 10 meter long, endangered beaked whale found in the deep pelagic waters offshore. Here in Nova Scotia, they live around 100 nautical miles from the mainland in submarine canyons. They are species that very few people have had the opportunity to see. My story starts last summer. It was the middle of July. The research trip had been delayed by the pandemic and we were heading out about a week late. It took us a day and a half to make our way on a 40 foot sailboat called Belena from Halifax to the gully, which is a large submarine canyon northeast of Sable Island. And when we got out there, we were wrapped in a blanket of fog. Now you'd think the whales would be hard to find in the fog, but indeed, the northern bottlenose whale are a very special beaked whale because they are often curious and come up to boats. It was in this fog that I had my first encounter with a bottlenose whale. We were sailing along the contours of the canyon and out of the mist appeared a lone individual. Brownish toned and patchy with diatoms, this bottlenose whale approached our vessel. Gracefully, it circled us, once, twice, then three times, breathing steadily as it prepared itself for its next dive. Each time it broke the surface, you could see its distinctively rounded melon appear, sometimes with glimpses of its distinct, small and pointed bottle-like rostrum. This visit allowed us a chance to take photos of its dorsal fin for our identification catalog. Then, as quickly as it appeared, it dove, off on its merry way to hunt squid in the deep waters of the gully. Over the next few weeks, we encountered many bottlenose whales. In some groups, there were very young calves. In others, simply adults. In one, an extremely emaciated individual accompanied by two healthy companions. We encountered this particular group on several occasions during our time in the gully. The whale had no external marks or entanglement, perhaps just showing signs of old age or an underlying condition. But in general, most of the whales we found were fat and healthy, the population growing. The core of this submarine canyon has been set aside as a marine protected area and the small bottlenose whale population that calls it home has increased in the years following this designation. It is a great example of conservation at work. The theme of this podcast is unique rostrums, and this species fits very well into that category. I spent my encounters with bottlenose whales in awe of their very much cartoonish proportions. They are certainly more on the weird side of cute, but those who have had the privilege of observing them cannot help but be drawn into their world. After all, it's not every day that one finds a friendly beaked whale. 
I would argue that the whales found us at least as frequently as we found them. Some groups curious, others disinterested. My main purpose as a member of this trip was to capture footage of northern bottlenose whale behavior using a drone. While I do not have time here to discuss all of these wonderful encounters in detail, I will sing you a verse of a song that our crew came up with during our time at sea, and the long hours of watch we had staring into the night as we waited for dawn and a new day of research. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. We're off to sea to the gully we be in wind and rain by sail. In search of elusive creatures to see the northern bottlenose whale. They dive down deep for squid they seek in waters far below. We're off to sea to the gully we be and onward east we go. That was so amazing. Also, I love her song so much. It's great. <laughs> Thank you it. so much, Elizabeth. We love it. Yes, it's great. Um, in the story that the story link that will be in the show notes link, I have put a link to a reel that she posted of a drone footage of the of these northern bottlenose whales, and it's amazing. And I just want to watch it all day long. And yep. Also, then go whale watching. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So great. Before we come to the end of the episode, we thought we would leave you with. Um, some ways that you can help the ocean and the world and the whales around you. Um, it is July, and as you might know, that is traditionally talked about in environmental circles as plastic-free July. And we're big fans of reducing the use of plastic in our lives, um, but also big fans of like reasonable, sustainable approaches to sustainability, which uh, might not be plastic-free, but it might just be plastic reducing or plastic Mm -hmm. awareness or something like that um because yeah buying a whole bunch of new stuff to replace perfectly good plastic stuff that's not broken is not sustainable so that's my call to action for plastic free july is do plastic free july without buying anything new from the internet yeah yeah Mm -hmm. um i had a win that had nothing to do with me actually my eye drops that were single use little snappy snaps Mm-hmm. Um, they changed it and turned it into a big bottle. Oh, that is great! And also, then you can control how many eye drops you put in your eye instead of having to uh, commit to the whole snappy snap thing. <laughs> that sounds good on so many levels. Yeah, Amazing. and so that was nice. And then also, I finally started using my laundry strips because when I got them, I had just bought a new thing of Tide, so I started using those, and that's working great. And the laundry strip. Place True Earth, this is not an ad unless they want it to be, um, just released toilet strips, toilet cleaning strips. So you put oh. it in and it dissolves and then you scrubby scrub and it works the same as toilet bowl cleaner. So yeah. I decided to try that eventually That's when exciting. I run out of toilet bowl cleaner. <laughs> it is amazing that you mentioned that because that was going to be my, my <laughs> oh. mom who arrived with my dad today to visit brought me so- <laughs> <laughs> amazing that's so fantastic yeah i have not tried them because they are literally sitting on uh, my couch right over there (laughs) i am very excited yeah i uh i have not used the strips of laundry detergent yet because i bought bulk laundry detergent um an embarrassing long time ago because i didn't know how much laundry detergent i went through uh when it's concentrated like this so with i i have lots 
for many years. <laughs> yeah. So I guess laundry strips win today's call to action. <laughs> I think that's about going to bring us to the end of our episode today. We would, as always, love to hear your thoughts on this or any episode. So please visit our website, whale-tales.org, and find links to our various social media handles so that you can drop us a line. You can also tweet at us directly. I am FHG07. Sarah is Sarah K. Given, no H, and Nicole is Nick F. Can, C-A-N-N. You can head to our website to subscribe to the podcast, check out our merchandise, like stuff with our new podcast logo, learn about supporting us and becoming a patron, and while you're there, read over 1,100 whale, dolphin, and porpoise stories. That's whale-tales.org. Tales like the story, not tales like the animal. And if you've seen a citation, we would love to add your story to our library. Click the share link on our website. You can contact us on social media, whaletales underscore org on Instagram or whaletalesorg on Facebook and Twitter. Or you can email us a voice memo like Elizabeth and tell us all about your incredible citation encounter. Finally, we want to acknowledge that we recorded today's episode on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples and the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations, as well as the homelands of the Tawasan First Nation. Thank you again so much, everybody, for listening and for supporting us, and we hope you have a really great day.